Thanks for joining us today. We love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that online at fellowshipgj.com. Pick the giving option that works best for you and help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thanks for joining us and enjoy today's message. Good morning, church. I am so excited to be with you this morning. I've been studying in the book of John chapter 9, and from it, there's a really cool, very simple principle that I want to discuss with you this morning. It is about how close our God is, how he touches our lives, how we can experience our God. He is not distant. He comes close. So in John chapter 9, we see an account of a life-changing experience that one man has with Jesus. Picking up in verse 1, it says, As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. He spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. That is an encounter with God that I want to pray over our church that we would come away seeing because Jesus has given us sight. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we recognize that you draw close to us. And much like in this story, when we are not even expecting it, that you would enter into our story, you would transform us, you would equip us, you would empower us, and you would give sight to some blind beggars today. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. All right, so we see that Jesus heals a man born blind. He experienced a touch from God. He was blind, and now he can see. And then he returns to his stomping ground. We pick up in verse 8. It says, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging. So this is a group of people who are familiar with this man. They recognize him. And they say, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, nah, it only looks like him. But he himself insists, no, it's me. I'm the guy. That's, this is me. I'm the guy. I, that was me. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they call Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes, he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said, which I think is interesting because the guy was blind, and he left, and like, how would he know where Jesus was? I just think that was interesting. Anyway, so this group of people, they did not understand what had just taken place in this man's life. They, it has boggled the mind. So, when something boggles our mind, much like human nature, they do what they know how to do. They get a second opinion. So they take this man to a group of Pharisees. 
So the Pharisees were, we know that they're religious leaders, but they were also leaders of the community. They governed the people. They actually governed most of the community, their social aspects. So the Pharisees actually, it wasn't just the religious system. It was the majority of their community. So it says in verse 15, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. The man replied, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and now I see. I want to pause for a moment. In this passage in John 9, we see two groups of people. We have the regular Joe Schmo people, and then we have the religious leaders. But in the case of these people, they had already made their minds up about how God should or can act. Which isn't that interesting? We tend to put God in a box on how he should and can act in our lives. And because of that, we see a huge problem in this text. The people were actually blind. So I I think it's interesting that this man was physically blind, and yet through this, Jesus shows them who was actually blind. So the man that Jesus heals has a private experience. Now, Jesus and his disciples, the text actually says that his disciples were there, but this was this private encounter between Jesus and this man. And then all of a sudden, he is thrust into a public conversation, a public argument. Doesn't that happen to you and I? When we experience God and people start to kind of recognize that there's a change in our lives, all of a sudden what was private between us and God gets made public. Our families notice, our friends notice. Maybe it's an argument we weren't actually looking for. We didn't go looking for the fight. But because their minds have been made up or people challenge us, there's actually spiritual blindness. On one level, we see that Jesus heals a physical ailment. And on another level, we see that Jesus shows us our own spiritual blindness. But the good news is that Jesus has come to restore sight to the blind in every generation. Yes, in context, he's showing this religious system that they were blind, but this is for all generations. We see in Luke 4, verse 18, Jesus is reading out of a text of Isaiah. And what he's doing is he is demonstrating, hey, heads up, I'm reading a messianic text. This is the fruit. This is the evidence of what you're going to see when the Messiah enters onto the scene. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Recovery of sight to the blind, multifaceted. See, it's interesting because in this generation, you would be hard-pressed to find anyone who hasn't heard the name of Jesus or of a Christian. But for how many people who have heard the name of Jesus, there are still many who are blind to who he is. And that is a serious issue. But 
God gives sight to the blind. And what I love about this text is this man was sitting on the side of the road. He was blind and he he did not call out to him. Many of the times that we see healing or miracles in the text, people are crying out to Jesus. They see and they recognize or they hear that he's passing by and they cry out to him. This guy was minding his own business, sitting on the side of the road. Jesus and his disciples approached him. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Right? Because I need that in my life. Sometimes I don't even know what I don't know. Picking up in verse 17, it says, Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one that you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he's our son, the parents answered. And we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. They're, they're, they're throwing up their hands. They're pleading the fifth. So we see in this passage, people saw with their own eyes, but they didn't really see. They had the evidence before them, but they didn't really see what was taking place. So there's an argument that breaks out with the people. And then they take them to the Pharisees. They're arguing they argue his story. Was he really born blind? I mean, there's, there's all of this fight going back and forth. So they interview the man. They go get his parents. They interview him again. They just don't believe. But, even though that sounds really negative, please hear me. Many did believe. And that is important. And we're going to get to that in just a second. Have you ever met someone that just wouldn't believe? I have. You've been totally transformed by God. And some people just won't believe. If that happens enough, we tend to shut down. We can respond by shutting down. We don't want to share our story. But let's learn from this man's example. Let's see what his response is. In verse 25, he then answered. So they're arguing back and forth, the Pharisees and this man, whether he is a sinner. So the Pharisees were accusing Jesus of being a sinner. He couldn't have done this. He's not from God. But the man says, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. But that's not even super accurate because we just gloss over the text If we read into this, it's really more, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. I don't know. I I don't know. Like, I don't know how to put more inflection on that. But this isn't, we don't just gloss over the text. The guy has got some fight in him. I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know how this happened. I don't have it all figured out. All I do know is that I was once blind, but now I can see. This man has a story now. 
He has a testimony. That's a kind of a church word we use, but a testimony is really a legal term of a witness. This man is now a witness to the power of Jesus Christ in his life. He has a testimony. He has a story. Nothing can take that away from him. It doesn't matter what the Pharisees do to protest him or argue him. How did it happen? I don't know. He put mud on my, this is what happened. Because this is a man born blind. He was blind, now he can see. Nothing can take that away from this man. He was blind, and now he can see. Verse 26, then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? And I really, I kind of want to bob my head because he's starting to get some fight in him. Do you want to become his disciples too? He gets, he does, he kind of postures up like, let's, let's, do you, really? He's kind of mocking back like, really? It's interesting because as he gets some fight in him, some of us need to get our fight back. Some of us need to be able to tell or share our story and get our fight back. The problem is, these people wanted a natural answer to a spiritual circumstance, and only spirit can answer spirit, and that requires faith. That boggles our mind. Yes, God will release understanding and wisdom and insight to us, but you guys, we receive by faith, we walk by faith, we live by faith, we finish by faith. The whole thing is by faith. And as we walk by faith, what does this mean for you and me? You have a story to tell. It's already in you. You already have it. That's the title of the message today. It's already in you. You already have this story. You have a story to tell. Many of you have many stories to tell. All you have to do is share that story, much like this man in this story. And you do not have to have all of the answers. That is really good news. Because if you're like me, I don't have all the answers. I wish I did, but I don't. All you have to do is share your story. I wonder, what is your story? I'm looking out and I'm seeing so many familiar faces that I have heard many of your stories. Those stories have encouraged me in my faith. Are you sharing your story with other people? Can I share my story with you or one of my stories with you? I don't need permission because I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> I'm the one standing up here. I get to do it. So I want to share a little bit of the story of my transformation, my conversion to Christ. You know, I've got many stories where God's spoken to me and told me to do things and I've obeyed and whatnot. Some really cool stories, but I want to go back to the beginning. I was raised in a good family. I was taught to be good, I was taught to be kind. I was taught to be nice to people and do good things. It was all about being good. But it was really an unbelieving family. It was all about carving out success in this life. 
but it was all based on human reasoning, subjective morality, pick and choose what you think is good and what you think is right. God was simply this abstract, higher power, out there, very distant, and I mean, I started this saying, he is close. I was taught that all religions are essentially the same, which they're not. But really, the crux of it is that I was taught to be good and do good, and then pick your own path in this life, and you'll somehow end up with some sort of heaven-like existence when you die. So success was the goal in my life. Any good that I did was really self-centered. I was doing it because that gave me gain. But that made me the focus of my life, which honestly just produced a very selfish and arrogant person. (laughs) But that selfish and arrogant person was incredibly insecure and lost. That person was incredibly blind. Please know I am not picking on my family of origin. They are very, very good people, very kind people. It's just important to know where I come from because as Jesus enters into my life, you have to understand where I came from. My family taught me that Jesus was just a historical figure that you could pick and choose some of his moral teaching and learn from that. That he was a good example. But I was blind. And it didn't matter how much success or affirmation or good work I ever did. I was just an empty, arrogant shell of a person. You guys, I was a good person going to hell. See, good people don't go to heaven. That is a lie that our generation believes. Just be good enough. When is good good enough? Believers go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. We talk about forgiven people go to heaven, but really, the Bible actually calls us as Christians believers. So when we believe We are saved. Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified or made right before God. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Good people don't go to heaven. Saved people do. When I was 16, I met a group of people who were Christians They were bold in their faith, but they didn't push it on me. So as I was folded into this group of people, they loved me. They opened their lives to me, and I was a rough one. Yeah, I'll just leave it at that. (laughs) I was rough. And as kind as they were and as nice as they were, it wasn't about that. They had something I didn't have. And I wanted that. I wanted to know what it was they had, so I started asking questions. I remember one specific conversation with one of those friends. I asked him, why do you believe what you believe? Why are you a Christian? And he said, well, I was raised in a Christian home, but I realized that it couldn't be my parents' faith. I had to cling to God myself. And so 
I made a decision to follow Jesus myself. And I'm like, how, okay, how do you follow a dead guy? <laughs> now, I actually asked this, because in my mind, I'm going, how do you follow, follow an invisible dead guy? I don't get it. And he smiles at me, and he says, he's not dead. I said, no, 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 I know the story. He dies, and he interrupts gently, and was raised to life again. He was resurrected. Again, boggled mind, don't get it. Well, I don't see him. I can't feel him. Where is he? And he says, ask him. Again, this goes back and forth for a little bit, and he finally ends with, as frustrated as I was, ask him. So this struggle in my heart turned into an all-out wrestling match. And I got frustrated enough that I finally, I remember one night, I'm at my home, and I look up to the ceiling, and I say, God, if you're real, Dan says you're real. By the way, it was my husband. <laughs> I married the boy. If you're real, Dan says the difference about him is you, and I want that. Are you real? And I got an answer. It wasn't audible. It wasn't a tidal wave crashing over me. It was more like a fragrance, this gentle, warm heat enveloping me, and God became real. Not that God changed, I changed. All of a sudden, Jesus went from just a historical figure and a God among gods to God. <laughs> Jesus had mercy on this blind beggar. He reached into my life and gave me sight. He was no longer a path among paths. He is the way, the truth, and the life. I was blind, and then I could see. And then I had a story. So Dan was open to sharing his life with me. He didn't feel the pressure to, to put it onto me. He was just open to sharing. He was open to caring. He looked for those opportunities. I love this story in John 9 because it's so practical. It's so simple. So practical for our lives today because in this generation, we are all blind until Jesus gives us sight. And we're blind because we have opinions about God that are formed up here rather than God's absolute truth telling us who he is. This can't tell anybody who God is, but he can tell us who he is. So, when we have a story, I'm talking about conversion in my story here, but I'm talking about any story. And all we know is we were once blind, but now we can see. So tell your story. That story is simply your experience. I want to simplify this as best possible. Your story may not be spectacular. It doesn't have to be. It's your experience. What makes it powerful is it's real. Yeah, 
Your story's real. That is the power of it in somebody else's life. Your story may not be complete. Newsflash, none of our stories will be complete until we're dead. (laughs) It's this open-ended story. It will continue to be written. And you may not, let let me change my own wording, you won't have all the answers. Just like the blind man in this story, tell it anyway. So, what can we do to get started in sharing our stories? I have four very simple things. The first one is to simplify your story. I think a lot of times we get hung up in sharing our story with people because when we leave it up here, it's just a jumbled mess. So write it down. Simplify it. When you know who you were, how you met Jesus or what the encounter was, and then who you are afterward, it's a very simple story to tell. This is who I was, this is what happened, and this is what happened afterwards. Simplify. Then the second one, again, very simple, is to pray. But because it's so simple, I think we bypass this one a lot of times. But pray and ask for the opportunity to share your story. The third one is to look. Keep your eyes open for that opportunity. I mentioned before that Dan had opened his life to me. And he looked for, I'm the one that started asking the questions. He didn't push it on me. I just noticed something was different. And he took the opportunity to share. When I asked, he answered, what's different about your life? I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. It was very simple. And as mind-boggling as that was to me, he just shared the opportunity. And then the fourth one, very simply, is share. But what I mean by that is don't be afraid to share. Because if we set ourselves up, we've simplified, we've prayed, we've looked for the opportunity, the opportunity presents itself. Sometimes what can happen is we get paralyzed because someone asks, what's different about you? And I go, and it's just a, I just try to be good. No. Let the power, we, we worshipped earlier, the power, the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. The, there's power, saving power in the name of Jesus Christ. So when somebody asks you what's different about you, tell them. It's Jesus. You may be surprised that that person is in a journey and they need to hear that thing right then. What's different about you is Jesus. So don't be afraid to say it. Don't be afraid to share it. It can be any story about how God has touched your life. I want to breeze through something. I wanted to teach my way through this in in John 9, but I'm going to have to teach it really quick. So can you keep up with me on this one? It's like sit on the edge of your seat and get ready. Okay. So there's a progression that happens in John 9 that we can all learn from. First, we see a man who is blind and has no expectation of change. That was me. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. So this man was just blind and had no idea who Jesus was. Then number two, as he tells his story of his experience, he realizes there is something different about this man named Jesus. So there's a guy. There's this guy. We see it in scripture. The man they call Jesus. So they're asking him questions. What happened? And he says, the man they called Jesus 
made mud, put it on my eyes, told me to go wash, and I was healed. Number three, now the man is growing in his faith. So he's telling his story again. He realizes again that there's something different about Jesus. Let's look at this scripture in verses 16 and 17. So again, he's explaining it. What happened? What do you have to say about him? The man replies to the Pharisees, he is a prophet. A prophet was a person that God would use to communicate his message. So he sees something else different about Jesus. The next step, the next in the progression is that he's starting to get that fight in him. We talked about it. He recognizes that the leaders are actually blind and declares that no one has ever been able to open the eyes of a man born blind. Verses 31 and 32. So he's fighting back. That is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from. No one has ever heard of opening the eyes of, a blind, if, of the blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So the next in the progression is he sees he's not just a messenger of God that God is using. He is from God. He's on a, a specific assignment from God. There's something different about this guy. I keep wanting to go back to this guy. There's this guy. There's this guy. And then the fifth one. I hadn't read this one yet. We see that the man has declared his story over and over and over again, and they kick him out of the synagogue, which essentially means he is excommunicated. He's excommunicated from the church. He's excommunicated from his family. He's excommunicated from all aspects of society. Picking up in verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? The son of man is the title one of the titles for Messiah, whom the, G- the Jews were looking for. Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. There's that word believe again. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Which isn't that interesting because he was blind in the beginning, started seeing differences spiritually in who Jesus is, and yet he gets to stand before Jesus and see him face to face. I just think that's cool. And the man says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. The fifth step in this is that he is God. So he was blind. Then he recognizes that there's this man, this this guy, there's this man you call Jesus, then prophet. Then he's from God on assignment. And then he is God. This man got an upgrade in his vision of who Jesus is because he told his story. It happened because he told his story. Do you need an upgrade in your vision of who Jesus is? Tell your story. It is a faith-building thing that happens. It is a spiritual thing that happens. When we tell our story, it builds others and it also builds us. So if you need an upgrade in your vision of who Jesus is, tell your story. Because you all have a story. Everyone stand to your feet. Church, it is story time. It is story time because You all have a story. 
You have stories of your marriage being healed. You all have stories of how God showed himself to be real in your life. That you went from religion to forgiven. You have gone from lacking in your identity to God telling you who you are. You have gone into circumstances where you called something coincidence and it's, it's time to drag that back and go, no, that was God's fingerprints all over my life. You have stories to tell. When you share your story, unbelievers will believe. Remember in this story, there was an argument taking place because some people didn't believe, but many did. That's the good news. Many people did believe. And also, when you share your story, I know I've talked a lot about conversion, our testimony, but you guys, look around you right now, and I mean literally, like look around, this big room. This is a body of believers, and there are many of us who could use each other's stories you might be surprised how your story is the very story that somebody in this room, in this body, needs to hear to have their faith built up again. Body, work together. We need each other. Tell your story, share your story. You might be surprised that when you share your story of how you were once blind, but now you can see, how someone who can't see will all of a sudden see Jesus in a new way. This is a story about one man. God touched one man and many believed because of it. It's a story of multiplication. Allow that seed of faith to take root in other people. Share your story. It's already in you. You already have it. Look for the opportunities to share it. I want to pray together before we leave this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you would open the eyes of the blind. If we don't know what we don't know, God, I pray that you would show up in our lives and have mercy on blind beggars, that we would be able to see you. God, I also pray that you would unearth these stories inside of us. And we would have the courage, the fearlessness, and the boldness to share these stories. And right now, God, I pray that the wheels in our minds would start turning about what those stories are. We don't have to worry about having all the answers. We just have to tell our story. And I pray that you would release new measures of faith over each of us. Because God... We have an impact to make in our city. We have an impact to make in this world because, God, there is a lie that good is all we have to search for. But God, good is never good enough. We must call upon the name of Jesus Christ to be saved. And I pray that we would be a church that shares our story in multifaceted ways. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Awesome, you guys. Thank you for being here this morning. We love you. We will see you next Sunday. Thank you for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can do that right now. 
I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord and that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my savior, to guide my life, and to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this, in your precious Son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you just prayed this prayer for the first time, or if you need prayer at all, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY or by email at prayer at fellowshipgj.com. Thanks again, and we hope to see you next week.